0: This morning, I want to continue uh, looking at, at this kind of series we've been doing on the glory of God that's been revealed and how God's glory is revealed to us. Just to catch everyone up, so we're all on kind of the same page, we've been kind of looking at Moses on Mount Sinai uh, when he's talking to God and he asks God this very simple, we think, question, show me your glory. And God says, well, you can't see my face or you'll die, so go hide your face in the, in, the, in the cleft in that mountain and I'll pass by and you can see the train of my garment as I go by. And oftentimes I said for me personally, this is Pastor Steve uh, maybe making things too simple, I assumed the transformation because remember Moses comes down and his face shines so bright they ask him to put a veil on. I assume that transformation comes because God was so bright. It was like he just went to like a tanning bed and God shined so bright that Moses was transformed. But God did something compelling as he passed by Moses. And God didn't just pass by Moses in silence, but God spoke as he went by Moses. Now, the interesting thing in the word of God, when he speaks, something happens, right? Genesis chapter one or two, God said and it was. God spoke and it existed. John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God, and then that Word becomes flesh. There's something about the Word of God that is powerful. And so I wanted to just pause a little bit and look at what God said, believing that if we look at what God said, that He was revealing as much through His words as He was through His presence. That when Moses was there and on the mountain. He was transformed. My my hypothesis is as much by what God said as he was by what he saw, because God was declaring with his words who he was. Exodus uh, chapter 34 is where we've been. He passed in front of Moses. That's God proclaiming the Lord, the Lord. If you remember, that's Yahweh. That's the God who was, who is and always will be the compassionate and gracious God. That's the God of Of mercy and grace. The God who gives us what we don't deserve and doesn't give us what we do deserve. That's the aspect of God. The God who is is slow to anger. That was the God who is patient with us. He's slow to anger with, with you and I. Today I want to talk about he's abounding in love and faithfulness. Maintaining love to thousands. Forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin that he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished he punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation god is declaring incredible uh, characteristics of who he is to his people and i believe that as we reflect on as we contemplate as we look at these revelations of god through his word it begins to transform us it changes us When I think about God, who is, who was, and always will be, when I think about his compassion and mercy, when I think about his patience, it changes me. We said today, abounding in love and faithfulness. Other translations of Bible in the same verse say, he's rich in faithful love and truth. He's abundant in goodness and truth. He's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, abounding in loving kindness and truth, filled with the unfailing love and and faithfulness. God is abounding. He's abundant in love, loving kindness and faithfulness or truth. That's what we're supposed to comprehend. That's what he desires for you and I to hear this day. So today my desire is to preach briefly on His abounding love, and hopefully we'll have a moment, if I don't get too long winded, to hear from you about God's abounding love in your life. You know, it's it's interesting that when we talk about the God who is, and we talk about grace and compassion, and we talk about patience and faithfulness, all of those must come from a God who is love. I mean really what is grace and compassion without love what is patience without love or faithfulness without love the essence of god's glory is found in the reality of who god is so as we look at god we cannot forget john uh, first john he talked about this we've seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world if anyone acknowledges that jesus is the Son of God. God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us because God is what? God is absolutely love. That's who God is. It says it a couple of times in this chapter. When, when I have to understand who God is, for me it starts with the reality that God is love. Yeah, He's gracious and compassionate, but He's love. Grace and compassion flow from love. Uh, uh, Patience flows from love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. God is love. You know, we like love stories. I mean, they're popular in our culture. If you want to have a hit movie, you make a love story, a sappy love story, and and, and we have to sit down and watch it. Movies like The Notebook or Casablanca or Sleepless in Seattle. You know what I'm saying? Like we got to watch these ooey-gooey movies, Titanic. Notice how every one of these movies, I had to filter the the movie posters from these because most of them were someone kissing. And my kids would say, ooh, if I put kissy pictures up in church. I mean, that's how we respond in a show when someone kisses. Gone with the Wind or Princess Bride. I mean, these are all uh, uh, epitomes of love stories. But it's interesting how in our in our culture, love stories seem to to be told readily. They seem to be box office hits per se. And so this morning, I decided if I wanted to have a home run sermon, I should share a love story from Scripture. And so I'm going to tell a love story this day. I haven't seen this movie just yet. But we've been looking at, right, God's relationship with Israel and some of these stories. A few weeks ago we looked at Nehemiah and what God spoke when when Ezra rediscovered the law and and, and what what happened in that moment. And and today I want to look at a story that involves Israel again. And it's going to involve Israel. Israel, but it's going to be with the prophet Hosea. Now, I promise if I get through today without saying Homer one time, I I deserve a cookie. I know everybody's got cookies today, so I deserve a cookie, but just one. My wife won't let me have any more. And so Hosea, who was Hosea? Hosea was a prophet, and he was a prophet at an interesting point in Israel's history. He was a prophet. Now, if you remember, Israel was one nation, and then they divided into two, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Northern kingdom being Judah, or Israel, the southern kingdom being Judah. And so Hosea was a prophet to that northern kingdom uh, of Israel. And I'm just going to read uh, probably my study notes from my Bible on, on Hosea for the background. So Hosea was called by God to prophesy to the crumbling kingdom of Israel during its last 30 plus years. So, I mean, talk about the job that you want. I want to be the prophet at the end. That's what he's called to do. Just as Jeremiah was later required to do in Judah, when Hosea began his ministry during the latter years of Jeroboam II, Israel was enjoying a temporary period of economic prosperity and political peace that produced a false sense of security. So, So Hosea is talking to a people who don't want to hear his message because they don't recognize they need to hear his message. That's the calling that God's given Hosea. I mean, all right, let's sign up to be Hosea. Immediately after Jeroboam II died, that was in 753 B.C., the nation began to deteriorate rapidly and ran swiftly into its destruction in 722 B.C. Within 15 years, uh, four kings were assassinated 15 more years. Samaria was a smoking ruin. The Israelites were deported to Assyria, dispersed among the nations. And then Hosea, his love story, God uses. Now we love love stories. Hosea's love story, God uses in this moment to speak to his people. So it's interesting because Hosea was called to be a prophet to Israel and God uses his life, not just his words. Now his words happen. If you read the book of Hosea, chapters 1 through 3 pretty much give you the whole story. And chapters 4 through 11, or almost through 14, which is the end of the book, kind of give you the backstory, the poems and the thoughts that are going on with, with Hosea as he's living out chapters 1 through 3. So that's where we're going to be, and we're going to look at Hosea's love story. Now here's the point where I wanted to have some nice, soft you know the love story music in the background? You know, everybody can picture that 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 love song. You, husband, you can start singing it in your wife's ears if you want to as, as we begin this love story. I mean, hold each other's hands. You know what I'm saying? Like this is the movie, get the popcorn out, put your arms around each other and get ready for the love story. We're all going to see the romance that comes. Peyton's getting real uncomfortable right now. And then, Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. And this is like the record scraps. Like, "Ah!" God says to Hosea, I want to write your love story. When the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of of unfaithfulness to the Lord. Other translations say, go marry a prostitute, or go marry a woman of whoredom, is literally what the prophet is asked to do. Now wait a minute, now I'm serving Israel, and and they're not listening, they don't want to hear me, and you want me to do what, God? Homer is asked to go marry a, a promiscuous woman, a prostitute, an adulterous woman, Is who? who, I'm sorry, who Hosea, I said, Homer, I don't get a cookie. Dang it! You guys do this sometime. <laughs> Hosea is asked to marry, and it took me a while to see it go across the faces. Like, it was just a slow process, just like when I said it. Anyway, that's besides the point. I like seeing faces light up whenever I preach. So if I have to say Homer several times, we'll do that. Hosea is asked to go and marry a, a, a prostitute, an, an adulteress, a promiscuous woman wait, God, that's not what I've dreamed of. It's not what I wanted. But if you look at Hosea, it's chapter 1. I have a belief from reading Hosea 1 through 3. He picks a woman, her name is Gomer, and he marries her. And when I read this story, what I know is that it doesn't matter where the story began, because now we can put our arms around each other. We had to pull our arms away when God spoke record scratch, you know, like, go marry a a promiscuous woman. But now I believe Hosea literally falls in love with Gomer. He loves her. He, he loves her. Like it didn't matter where she came from. It didn't matter what her reputation was. He genuinely loves her. And they have children together. And God gives the kids these weird names that speak truth to Israel. We're not going into that right now. But I see a man who loves his woman. We put our arms around each other. We hold each other's hands. Man, I love you, dear. Oh, this is great. But then record scratch a promiscuous woman is a promiscuous woman and now he's a a dad he's got three kids and his wife is running around town with all the guys she's committing adultery on him she's running around having affairs on him he's supposed to be speaking for God can you imagine that one the pastor's wifes running around having affairs. Yeah, let's go listen to that guy. Let's see what he's got to say. Now, how this story work? In Hosea chapter 2, we see the prophet. And, and like I say, God used his story to mirror, mirror his relationship with Israel. And this is God's word. But this is the same thing that Hosea was saying. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine, and you will finally know me. Now, this says as the Lord, but, but I want to say that, that, that Hosea would be saying, as one who loves you. In Hosea chapter 2, we see that, 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 that his intent, Hosea's intent is that chapter, was just hoping his wife would come home. But God just just put something around her that makes her come back. He loved her faithfully. He abounded in love for his wife. And we see he says, man, if she comes back, I'm still loving you. I'm still, I'm still faithful to you. I'm abounding in love and faithfulness for you. Just come back. But this story gets worse. So apparently, Gomer has not just had affairs on Hosea, but she's left his home completely. And she's gone, and, and her affairs, maybe literally affairs, or it may be other affairs, have caused her to be put up for slavery. She owes debts that she cannot pay from her actions. Hosea chapter 3. The Lord said to me, This is to Hosea Go show your love to your wife again. Come on. She wasn't the one I would have picked in the first place. She's done screwed up enough. She's made her bed, literally, let's let her lie in it. And God says, What? Now, I love this because he says, go show your love. So what God recognized in Hosea was that he still loved Gomer. He didn't say, go love her again. He said, go show, go reveal the love that you have for Gomer. Go to her, show the love to your wife again. And though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites Though they turned to other gods and loved the sacred raisin cakes, I don't know what those were. We didn't sell any raisin cookies this morning. It's a good thing. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a Homer and a Lethic of barley. Dude, let me tell you about an abounding love. The husband went to the slave auction, the place where his wife Was going to be auctioned. He could have been done with this mess. He could have walked away from it all. But he went there. And he went and bought and paid a price. That he didn't owe. For something that was rightfully his. For someone. Who hurt him. For someone who rejected. His love for someone who didn't uh wasn't uh, co- uh, in covenant with him i bought her for 15 shekels of silver i read this is about 6 months i don't know for sure 6 months of income he gives for his wife And I told her, you're to live with me many days. This is not ending. We're going to make this work. You must not be a prostitute. I think that's a fair request at this point. Or intimate with any man. And I will behave the same way towards you. You see, I'm abounding in love and faithfulness. And God used this picture of Hosea. He used these moments With Hosea to mirror... What was happening with Israel? Israel was chosen by God when they didn't have the right reputation. When they were making mistakes and controlled by sin. God chose them. He chose them to be His people. He came and had union with them. They had kids together, you know. They were reproducing. But Israel continued to fall away from God. They have fallen away to the point that now they are in Assyria and other kingdoms. Completely destroyed. And God is standing there saying, I want to buy you back. Isaiah chapter 14. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God, for your sins have brought you down. Bring your confessions and return to the Lord. Say to Him, forgive me all our sins And graciously receive us, so that we may offer you our praises. Assyria cannot save us, nor can our war horses. Neither again will we say to the idols we have made, you are our gods. No, and you alone do the orphans find mercy. That moment is repentance. God is saying to Israel, acknowledge what you've done. Every point when we've talked about the glory of God has been conditioned by the repentance, by the understanding that whether it's the God who is, I haven't been trusting, the God who is gracious and and, and merciful, I haven't been receiving, uh, the God who is patient, yeah, he's patient to forgive. He forgives when? When I repent, we've got to change to experience the glory of God. The glory of God brings transformation in us when I recognize His abounding love for me, when I see Him paying the price, when I'm standing humiliated. I read one thing that said she was likely being sold into the, to the sex industry. Sorry, younger ones. And so she was probably standing before Him in, in her birthday suit. Can you imagine how embarrassing that is to see your husband as you're going to be auctioned? In that moment, He loved when I look at that love, I can't help but want to change. When I look at that love, I can't help but be transformed. He says, the Lord says, then I will heal you of your faithlessness. My love will know no bounds. For my anger will be gone forever. Forever. I will be to Israel like a refreshing dew from heaven. Israel will blossom like the lily. It will send deep roots into the soil like the cedars in Lebanon. God is saying, I love you with a love that abounds. I love you with a love that has no bounds it's an extravagant love it's a complete love it's the love that god demonstrated through his son jesus christ remember when we didn't deserve it and he bought us with the price the punishment that each and every one of us deserved was, was hell, was a, was a life apart from him. But he sent his son, Jesus, to save us, to pay the price for us while we were standing there, to be sold into bondage and slavery while we were standing there. And, and, and people wanted to persecute and call us who we were. She had a reputation when she went to that stage of being a prostitute and adulterer. Who could say anything when she left but that is Hosea's wife. Talk about cleaning her reputation when her own husband purchases her. God is abounding in love. I've read this verse every week. I want to read it again. It says, And we who all who with unveiled place faces we contemplate, we behold, we observe. We reflect as a mirror the Lord's glory. We're reflecting in the glory of God that God declared to Moses that he was abounding in love and faithfulness. This morning, I want us to behold his glory. I want to hear about God's abounding love, not just. Through this crazy story of Hosea, but what God is doing in your life. Where have you experienced the abounding love of God, the faithfulness of God, the abounding faithfulness of God, where He was faithful when He didn't need to be faithful? Because as we reflect the Lord's glory, we're transformed into His image with an ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit? I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask you to share. And it doesn't have to be a big long story like Pastor just did, but it might be as simple as, as God told me I was His very own. But what I want to hear this morning is how is God abounding in love? We can do this for a little while in you. Father, I thank you this morning. For your glory which is revealed through Jesus Christ. I thank you for the glory that is the God who is love. I thank you that your love transforms our our lives. The love that abounds. The love that knows no bounds. The love that is more than enough. The love that is beyond sufficient for us. The love. That you've demonstrated to us. And God, I pray that as we contemplate your glory. As we share the story of your glory in our lives. We are transformed in this place. In Jesus name. Amen. I'll be very honest because I don't like to do things that people don't know. I did call Rowen and ask her to share first. So I asked her to to be able to share just a little bit about God's abounding love. And if we can get a few people that are willing this morning to share about God's abounding love.
1: It's been a long life, so I don't know where to start. (laughs) But from my very early childhood, my mother uh, was divorced and left with three small children. And she was a godly mother, always praying and asking God to supply our needs. So I thank God there. God provided a godly mother for me, a Christian mother. Many times that's God's love coming through that, and so I, I appreciated that so much. So, but when I was 15, I, we went. Our church had a, a week, a monthly thing. We would go to a church in the in the in that area, and the young people would go and meet together. There I met Ken Hudson. <laughs> And and he was a Christian. Uh, he was very interested in me and began coming to visit me. I lived in Paxton. He was from Eishkash. And we, we met in March. We're married in June the 2nd. It was just a small time. But my, my mother gave me that consent. She was back of it because Ken had completely convinced her and me, too, that he was a Christian. And I believe he was. But he, he was very good-looking and, and had a great personality. Uh, but he was a womanizer, which I did not know at the time. But he never gave up on other women. He had been engaged to a, 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 a girlfriend for two years before he met me, and, and he had been in a breakup at that time and asked me to marry him. But he was trying to, at that time, they were causing uh, uh, men to come into the Army, and, and he thought he could escape that by being married. I think that was <laughs> the situation. We were only married two weeks when my mother-in-law said, because of Kenneth ask her to, tell her I don't love her, which he did. She told me that. And so I knew that he didn't, but I thought, well, I can win his love. But you don't win somebody's love if they don't want to be won. <laughs> I was married to him for 36 years. And during that time, there was only two years at that time that uh, he really tried to be faithful to me. At that time, he said, "I'm, I'm glad," and, and he said, "I'm glad we didn't get a divorce." But he said, "Unless, unless the Queen of Sheba comes by, I knew she would, <laughs> and she did." <laughs> but anyhow, then after that, I sued for divorce. God was faithful to me though through all of that time, and at. We, we were married and had the, the, what I call as the ranch, it's where I live now, and, and believed that we owned it and it in trying to d- divide up things and just do what should. We had this place here, which is about 300 acres. It was more like 400 acres at that time. A small filling station in Crawford and 80 acres of land in Garden County which Ken had gotten purchased before we were married. He had had that. So in dividing it up, I said, well, I'll take the filling station. You take the, the, the property because that had been his before. After that, uh, so then after the divorce, and I still had the filling station, which had a car wash on it, so there was a small income there. Uh, as time proceeded on, Trying to think, it gets kind of dim. Trying to remember back those times, but God, God was faithful to me. Um, I had that income. Then um, shoot. Anyhow, then too, I also went to be a missionary, Um, and I was a missionary in, in Mexico for about eight years. Then came back here. During that process of time. I gave up on him. I, he was just kept harassing me and harassing me. I, All right, I'll just quit claiming the deed, the whole thing to him. Just take it. <laughs> I could get by anyhow. <laughs> but God dealt with his heart, and, and he's, I know he's dealt, he'd done wrong, so... He put my name on the place, and then when he passed away, I still, I got the place back. That was the love of God coming through for me. So now I have the place without any debt. In debt I'm not in debt there. God has taken care of that. i have able to lease the land for, uh, for the pasture and the, and the rent land. It's enough to pay for my income tax and insurance and things. <laughs> my needs were met in and supplied. I thank him for that. But all through life, there had been somebody who would reach out and bless us. And even with mom, and we were small. When one Christmas time came and we were living in the poorhouse, mom had no other choice but to live on on welfare. But the, I, she had a cousin that came, brought us a sack of groceries with some homemade fudge and some oranges. <laughs> I think we were so pleased and so happy with that. That was God's, God's love being bestowed upon us at that time. Then, then throughout that time, we were never financially blessed, except when I was taking care of my father, then I, of which I took care of him for 12 years. Other than that, there was no financial backing, but just what people would do. God worked through other people to show forth his love. And many times, there was another time when he bought a sack of groceries with some apples in it. Oh, it looked so good. <laughs> Usually my mother, when we were small, we were raised on Beans and fried potatoes. I still like them. <laughs> but she was so faithful. and know, God is so faithful through that. That was how through other people blessed. And it's, God does things for you through other people. It's God causing them to say, hey, look, see what you can do for them. And that's God's love being brought there. Then in the, the spiritual realm, I was so hungry for the Holy Spirit We had been going to a church that was just dead, spiritually dead, because they had refused to believe that God could speak to us in other tongues, and they rejected it, but because of that, his spirit was lifted from the church. We began looking around for a church that had some life in it and began going to the assembly of God. I had been taught through these other churches that speaking in tongues was of the devil, so I, I, I literally said, "I know they're Christians, but speaking in tongues is of the devil." <laughs> How ridiculous can it be? But I began—I began getting so hungry. Went to the parsonage one day, and, and Sister Lester said, "Boeing, why don't you come in and pray? You're so hungry." And there was a group of ladies praying in there. I did, when, and I would pass out through the power of God. But the devil literally spoke in my ear and said, Rowan, you don't have to speak in other tongues. So I began praying at the time, and I didn't receive it that day. I went home and began seeking God and laying on the floor. I remember one day laying on the floor, crying out to God to fill me with the Holy Spirit, believing that I would be filled with, uh, have a message in other tongues. Then we had an evangelist come at the church, and I that night I went, I, okay, God, I'm I'm through doing this. If I don't receive the gift tonight, I'm not going to seek it anymore. This is it. When I went to the altar, God did a marvelous thing. As I was praying, I literally felt a blanket of love come down over me, a literally blanket of love. That is the greatest love I have ever felt. It was of God, and I praise him for it. So it's at that time, and he gave me a language that was full full of the Holy Ghost. It was a pure, a total, complete language. (laughs) And that has been my stay. Every time I've gone through a hard place or any time, daily, I try to pray in other tongues because that's the power. He said, this is the power that is given unto you to speak in other tongues. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. You're yielding your spirit to Him and your tongues to Him so He can flow in you and through you. And, And that's the love of God bestowed upon me. How I praise Him for it.
0: Thank you, Rowen. Anyone else want to share about God's abounding love in your life?
2: I'll try and make it fairly quick, but I came from a childhood that was less than ideal, we'll say. Um, What's kind of funny about it, though, is where my parents started. My dad actually helped build a church by hand in Bellevue, Nebraska, and to see how far he fell and how much the devil attacked him and how much he became a victim to that. Um, It's pretty amazing that there was one person in my life whose God loved so much was my grandmother, who continued to take us to church till we were about ten years old. When my parents got a divorce, and uh, at that point, uh, me and my brother we didn't go to church anymore. And my grandma kind of stepped back, but she continued to pray for us. Um, through different events, I ended up living out of my car and moving out on my own at fifteen years old. And uh, I continued to go to school. I worked two jobs. I, just kind of became a man at a young age, but I too succumbed to sin for the next basically 30 years of my life. But during that entire time, my grandma's love was consistent. She never gave up on me, no matter how much I failed and how many times I fell on my face and how many sins I committed. She always loved me. She always prayed for me, but she always let me know that. She always let me know that he was there. And he'd be always there for me whenever whenever I was ready to accept that fact. And it took her death for me to finally realize that. And for the next seven years of my life, I tried to attain something that I didn't quite understand. And it was only through his grace and his love for me that one day he too touched me with the power of the Holy Spirit at church and only at that point in my life did I fully understand the power of His love and what it takes to even come you can't even come close but to try and reciprocate that love and over the next year it's been a year and a half now I've gone from being that sinner that person with no home no friends and for the most part no family to having a home here in Crawford, to having friends, to having a steady income that supports me in what I need. I don't need much. He's brought Christy into my life. He's given me a wife to be. its But it's that power, that love. It's just never forget that He is there for you. Whether there's anybody in here that needs to hear that, He's always going to be waiting for you with open arms. And if you just run to him, he'll he'll love you more than anything you could possibly imagine.
0: Amen.
3: It's a funny thing this morning. God had me contemplating his love. Put that closer. Mm. (laughs) And, uh, I I mean, my past is just like... I'm an alcoholic, drug addict, you know, single mom. And he took care of me long before I ever knew Amen. or followed him. I, I think I was saved at a very young age, but I, did, I never followed him. But so many times he just took care of me, regardless, even Amen. when I was in sin. But what I was thinking about this morning was the love of God. It's something I'm learning more about every day. And then I got to thinking about Jesus and his passion. And then I got to thinking about the Holy Spirit. And I think for the first time in my life, I finally come to an understanding of what it meant about the Trinity of God. You have God the Father that loves everything. He's the creator of heaven and the earth. And he he created everything. And he loves to watch all of it. He the seeds growing, the waters flowing, the birds singing, the fish swimming, the love of the Father and and how unique and individual it is for each and every one of us. When we're born, He brings us forth from our our mother's wombs. He puts His breath in us. And that's His love for us. And then in Jesus, yes, His passion was the Cross, but I, I realized this morning, maybe, just maybe, his passion was to show the love of the Father. Is not Jesus, but the Father in the flesh? Uh-huh. His love through Jesus. And then, Holy Spirit is the Father in us. Jesus was God with us. God is God. I am who I am. In Jesus... Emmanuel, God with us. And Holy Spirit, His Spirit in us. And it's so much love for us individually. And this morning I'm going, wow. You know? And that helped me to understand what it meant by the triune God because that's just every day He pours out His love for us individually, uniquely, distinctly. It's not my. My love I receive from God is not the same love that my grandchildren, who, by the way, I have three of them here today. <laughs> you know, it's not the same. It's unique. It's individual. And Amen. he loves us deeply, every one of us.
0: Amen. Thank you,
4: I was raised miles from town, but my parents, every chance they got, they would send us to Sunday school, church. And we moved a lot as children. My father loved working in the timber, so that's where we were raised, up in the mountains in the timber. And they never spoke that much of God at home, but they, every chance they got, they would send us to church. My mother was raised in a holiness church. And my aunt was so devout. But I never really knew God until Terry was hurt in a car accident as a babe and I called on God and he healed her Amen. in his way she was supposed to have been a vegetable but yet here she sits. my husband got ill and God healed him I am now ill, and I have faith that God will keep this disease away from me.
2: Amen.
4: His His love is just abounding in so many ways. Uh We just have to open our eyes, and we can see it all. Amen. Can you guys come up? I
0: want to – I know we probably – I think the cool thing is when we start talking about God's love, we recognize his love. And then we feel compelled to share his love. Uh, and, I, and I encourage you, I'm going to have them lead us in a worship song just to kind of end the service, but, but contemplate God's love. And, and I would be remiss if there's someone in this room that says, I need to feel the love of God if I didn't ask for the opportunity to pray with you that you could experience the love of God in your life. If maybe you 've experienced it before, but it 's a long time ago, and, and you 've forgotten what that feels like today is a day that god 's love abounds if you 've never experienced the love of God, the love that others have talked about, the love that that provided for them spiritually, the love that provided for them them physically, the love that that connected dots that needed to be connected, the love that has gone with them, gone before them, and come behind them in the entirety of their life, that love is available to you this day. The Lord, the Lord, He's gracious and compassionate. He's patient with you. Willing to forgive time and time and time again. Because he longs that you would experience, that you would know his love. Hosea, in in, in those chapters 4 through 11, he writes about God's desire is to know you. And it doesn't mean that God just wants to know about you, or His desire is that you would know Him. It doesn't mean that He wants you to know that His name is Yahweh, or I am, but God wants you to know Him with your heart, to experience Him, to understand Him, to embrace Him, to to have an emotional connection with Him, not just a mental knowledge of Him. So this morning as they lead us in this chorus, I'll open the altars up. And I know we haven't had an opportunity to pray together for needs. If you've got a need. I want to be able to pray with you. If you've got a need for the love of God, I want to be able to pray with you that you can experience the blanket that Rowan talked about. That you can experience the embrace that you've been longing for. The comfort of of your Father just touching your hand this day saying, I am with you. The key to His glory is repentance. And maybe we need to acknowledge where we haven't received. Maybe we need to acknowledge the rebellion that we've we've gone through. Maybe we need to acknowledge the adultery that we've committed. the, The ways that we've honored things other than God. But this day, He desires to purchase your life. He desires to pay the price so you can't be sold in humiliation this day. Why? Because He loves you. How much He sent His very best for you. How much that He desires that you would know Him. God, I thank You for this morning. And I thank You that we could contemplate Your glory. I thank You that we can hear about Your abounding love in lives. And we can recognize Your abounding loves in us. And God, I pray for each of us that we would receive. That we would experience. That we would know your love. That we would know your love this day. He abounds in love for you. His abounding love and faithfulness is yours. The Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you. And grant you his peace. And I'm going to pray that you would know. Not just know about. But experience God's abounding love. Amen? Be blessed.